Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Line of Details podcast. I'm your host, Wes Pendleton, and I'm here with my co-host, Zari. How you doing, man? Hey, what's going on, man? Word, word. Good day today. It is Friday currently. Uh, what's this? May 30th or 31st? May 31st that we're recording. So we always record on Fridays, guys, just to let you know, and the, the episodes will go live on Mondays. So a lot of times you'll hear us ter- talking about current events and music, and a lot of times <clears throat> if, if we say yesterday... We're literally talking about either Thursday, uh, most, you know, nine times out of 10. So just to give you reference, if you ever hear us say yesterday, we don't want you to think that we're talking about Sunday. But uh, very, very excited about episode two. Um, Before we get started, just want to shout out to our sponsor, NordVPN. Uh, If you guys haven't checked out our uh, exclusive uh, hyperlink to save you some money, it's nordvpn.org slash soul surplus. So let me break down what NordVPN does. Basically, if you if you ever find yourself in a foreign place and you have to use the Wi-Fi, whether you're in a coffee house or you're at a music studio or maybe even you're at the airport, you know, you're about to fly somewhere. At any time that you surf the web, uh, you are vulnerable to hackers. People can fish through uh, through your data and get, you know, credit card stuff and all that. And this is just stuff that we don't want out there. So what NordVPN does is it, is it sets up a virtual private network for you allows you to peruse the web, send files, pay for your Grubhub, whatever, without worrying about people prying into what you're doing. So, like I said, to save 75% off a three-year plan plus one month free, head over to nordvpn.org slash soulsurplus or use our code soulsurplus, all one word, to get that 75% off a three-year plan with one month free, which by the way, you can cancel at any time. Everybody on the team uses NordVPN. We swear by it. There is no issues with speed or anything, and it just feels good to be secure. So now that we got that that out the way, we can go ahead and hop into this episode. So good thing today, we have some special guests. We got uh, John McNeil, who is the co-founder of Soul Surplus. What's up, John? What's up, y'all? Good to be here. And we also have our good buddy, John Smythe, who came all the way out here from Dirty Jersey. You know what I'm saying? To, uh, to show some love. I came out here from Clean Jersey. <laughs> clean Jersey. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, I appreciate you guys coming in. There's going to be some things that we talk about that, uh, that both Johns are going to be able to chime in with. Um, but yeah, we're going to hop right into it. So obviously you guys, you know, if you haven't seen the first episode you know that the first thing that we do is we we, we tend to go over, uh, you know, one or two tracks from the week before that really, really stuck out to us. And last week, uh, Elle and I, uh, we were really, we really love this new Blue and Exile EP that just dropped. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with Blue or Exile, Google them, hop on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, whatever. So this week, like we said, the title track, True and Living, Got wild amounts of repeats this last week. You've got drummers placed all the way in the pocket with the perfect complimentary sample. The sample in this particular record in True and Living is an impressions cut from We're a Winner album released in 1968. And if you listen carefully, you can actually hear a few cuts of Curtis Mayfield crooning sprinkled into the main loop. The impressions obviously have been, have long been a go-to for producers when they want that true soul sample for their record. I've, I've sampled the impressions more times than I could count. I mean, literally, um, at one point, they were almost like 75% of what I what I personally sampled. Um, not only are you guys going to get that three-person harmony, 
whenever you're sampling from those guys, but you're also going to get those solo sprinkles of either Curtis Mayfield and some of the earlier Impressions records. Um, and then later on, after Curtis left the group, you're going to get that Leroy Hudson, uh, that Le- Leroy Hudson takeover. You know what I'm saying? So um, some of your favorite flips over time come from the Impressions. I mean, you know, if you go to a place like Who Sampled, I mean, you're going to pretty much be scrolling for days, you know, hearing hearing all the usage of that. So We Must Be In Love by Dilla, All My Life by Freeway, which was produced by Bank. Um, this is you and me, uh, Zari. This is our childhood right here. Facts. That freeway record. Uh, and, and you guys too. You guys are from Philly, so I'm acting like yes, sir. Yeah, I'm acting like you not guys Smythe. are from here. Well, not Smythe. Not Smythe. Smythe. You was you no. wasn't outside at that yeah, point. You were. We were just young bulls, man. You know. Yeah, Smythe was definitely all the way, like four years old when that record came out. I'm not from Philly. Yeah. Oh. First of all. <laughs> thank, no, thank God. Um, thank God. But I mean, I'll even say, even as a guitar player. Uh, Curtis Mayfield is a huge influence, especially for soul music. I mean, that that's, that's soul guitar right there. To me, Curtis Mayfield and, uh, you know, uh, Isley, I forgot his name. Not not Ron Isley, his brother. Uh, the, you know, the Isley brother that plays guitar, to me, that's that's soul guitar right there if you want to sample something. Yeah. yeah, so Love and I Lost by Common, produced by No ID, The Impressions. Pete Rock, Mad Lib, the list goes on with producers who have used The Impressions. On the first episode, if you guys noticed, we actually played the original song and the original sample. We're not going to do that moving forward because of copyright issues. So what we'll do is we'll we'll produce a link in the description, send you guys back to the original records, and also give you just a list of uh, some of the tracks that you'll find the same uh, original sample that you hear on True and Living on other records that you probably even know about. Um, so that's our record for the week. And now we are going to get into the news, which this particular story is pretty much going to dominate this whole entire uh, podcast episode. And the, and the fellas are going to jump in here with us. So, Zara, you take it away, man. Yeah. So in recent news, royalty rates have increased. Last year, the Music Modernization Act was signed and passed in office. As a result of this act, the CRB, which is the Copy Royalty Board, recently confirmed mechanical royalty increase of 44% for songwriters, um, mm. which is it's pretty good. I'm not going to say that's like a major. No, that's major. 44% is a lot. Maybe big, that's still like them. a fraction of a penny in, in itself. Yeah, right. which, we'll, which we'll get into yeah. for sure. Good Lord. Uh, so, <laughs> so according to an article on LawWire.com, uh, Google and Pandora, as well as Spotify, urge Court of Appeals to look into the CRB's pay model. So the CRB, in a split decision recently... Which, issued, by the way, the CRB is the Copyright Royalty Board. Right. right. Basically, what the article states on LawWire.com is that Google, Pandora, and Spotify are actually fighting against uh, this appeal. Um, so they're looking to the court to uh, actually turn around this decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Apple, in the meantime, actually has no issues um, with this being passed. So I think it's actually really good for the songwriters themselves as, uh, you know, they tend to not make as much money as the artists themselves. Right. So if we want to go into mechanical royalties for streaming, uh, according to RoyaltyExchange.com, to understand this figure, the average per stream royalty for both the composition and recording on Spotify is around half a penny. The sound recording average is about 0.0038 per stream. That leaves 0.0012 to the composition, which is then split 50-50 between performance and mechanical royalties. That's insane. 
that is not a lot at all. So I, that I is definitely probably see that on my royalty checks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, before we before literally right before we started this uh, this actually particular uh, episode, John literally just pulled out his latest royalty statement. He was literally just saying that it was trash. Yeah. Because it was so low. Yeah. It's pretty bad. I don't check for him anymore. I mean, that's why we had to start a sound design company. Yeah. <laughs> Straight Could up. make a living being a producer right now. Straight right. up. Yeah. And and yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. Well, Got as far you. as a songwriter, it would require approximately 1.6 million on demand streams to earn a thousand dollars in streaming. And that's just for mechanical royalties. Right. And that's just for the writer. So how much is how much are Spotify, Apple, all those guys getting for those streams? Like that's the thing I want to know. Or even the the record label before it gets out to the writers you know what I'm saying right well it's interesting it's like you have Spotify's and the streaming streaming services kind of serving as the labels now right the wild wild west uh, with that and they're trying to get in there and fill that seat and that throne that's been previously taken by the, the traditional label sense in a way yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so interesting in, interestingly enough a lot of reason why Zari and I really wanted to talk about this was to be honest with you, if not for streaming, there is no soul surplus. Sure. It does not exist. Yeah. Because, so it's 2019. I think the first time that I really started getting hurt by streaming was around 2013. The amount of money that I made from a salary standpoint that first year, I think it went down like 30% from the year before, which if you are a freelance type of contractor, 30% is a lot of money. Um, especially considering the fact that that 30% is basically what I'm paying in taxes. So now I've basically, it's almost like you're paying the same amount that I would have to pay out in taxes while also losing more money and then actually still having to pay my taxes. So I, I didn't really feel like I lost 30%. I felt like I lost 60%. That's what it felt like, mm. you know? Um, so what happened was, and it wasn't because people were like, Wes, we don't like your production or anything like that. That That's not what it was. Uh, uh, we actually ex experienced the same thing in a, in a way too, but what happens is is if if the label realizes that it's it's starting to lose money because of streaming and they're not getting as much revenue on the back end because of streaming because now people aren't buying records they're just pressing play um, that trickles down from the top through everybody so now all of a sudden then the artist makes less money the artist budget goes to almost nothing especially for the types of labels that I were working with were more mid and small size labels. They, I, I, I've never had a chance to work with a major label ever outside of television and movie stuff, but I've never. So anyway, it, it trickles down to the artists. The artist budget goes away, which then in, in turn means that the production budget goes away. And then after the production budget goes away, so now you're not making anywhere near as much money on the upfront but then you're also not making any money on the back end. So John and I could go into a negotiation six, seven years ago, and we could use, in essence, what the label is better at. So maybe the label might do better with giving you the upfront money because they can actually give you a bigger you know, piece of the pie up front. Or if a label maybe doesn't have as much money, but you know that they have like a rabid fan base and they do really, really well mm. radio and stuff like that. Now you can negotiate to just get more of your portion on the back end. Now, all of a sudden, you're not getting either. Um, and so for for me, by the time I got to like 2015, 2016, I was faced with, yo, I still got to take care of my family and I have no money. 
You know what I'm saying? And I and I've never been in a position where I don't have any money. I don't know about y'all, but I've I've never been there. You know what I'm saying? So I had to go literally work retail to make up for it. And it was probably the best thing to happen for me. But you yeah, know the best thing for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But the funny thing is, because of streaming, what that did was that actually showed me how I could still be of service technically to those who want to create. And that's how we created Soul Surplus. You know what I'm saying? So but but you know, John, how are you you know, you and I have had many conversations about so in case you guys don't know, John is obviously part of the Soul Surplus production team, but he's also one half of the production duo 42 North with Joel. And he's also one third of the production trio, uh, Weatherman, him, Joel, and Wit. And it's mad funny because we're all on Soul Surplus. So it's like we got like four different production teams on Soul Surplus. But um, but even just watching you just the last three, four years of how you guys negotiated when you first started, even compared to just recently with working with artists. How's that been for you guys? Well, yeah, I mean, you've seen the evolution of it just in a short amount of time, half a decade with five years or so. Right. It's truly evolved. Um, I remember being in Nashville, working on a record with an artist and the uh, the publishing guy there at the label and some of the execs, they went out to dinner with us and they basically were just talking very candidly about this change in the music uh, kind of industry and like royalties and everything. And they're basically like, Hey, it's the Wild West right now, and it's just if you give it time, it's gonna shape out. What it needs is more people jumping into streaming, and then soon we might see the days of old where people are just making a lot of money off of sales. But it's just more about more people being in the pool mm. and um, kind of uh, being in the streaming service. So it's still kind of hard for me to kind of like take that and understand how that could work because to me, it just seems like now you have like the age-old conundrum of the folks at top are trying to sort out how they can keep more money in their pockets and right. like i said like some of these streaming services do act like how able uh labels were acting in older days where it's like hey 360 deals let's keep this money in the pocket and everything right. so, so it was interesting for us yeah we really have dealt with those harsh realities of your your publishing checks just looking like really trash mm-hmm. <laughs> in a quarter and you're just like you're expecting a little bit more so then, yeah, like you said, Wes, you go into negotiations with this in mind because honestly, those folks who are negotiating with you, sometimes artists, sometimes labels, sometimes anyone, they don't have that in mind for you. Right. They're, just, they're thinking you're being a jerk or thinking you're asking for way too much, but you're literally asking for what you know you're not going to get on the back end. Right. right. You can't like depend on that anymore. You have to get as much as you can up front. And I think more people just need to understand that, that you know, a lot of producers... I can go in and do things on a love and a lot of conversations were built on, yeah, what we'll make on the back end. But now that back end rarely exists too much. And um, yeah, people just aren't selling like they, they were. Right. Before. The producers don't go on tour. Yeah. The artists right. make all that. Exactly. It's yeah. funny. 70% of artists uh, income and revenue is still touring, touring. in yeah. March. And it's, yeah. but it's always been that yeah. way. Yeah. You're right. That's even in the old model. Yeah, the old model. You're right. The, the old model. I mean, they obviously still made more money. Yeah. And so, so, so to put into perspective back in the day, an artist might make 10 cents to 15 cents every record. I, I know that sounds bad, 10 cents, but just think about that in relation to fractions of a fractions of yeah. a penny. Yeah. Right. And today. So if you're somebody like Eminem, if you're getting 10 cents a record, if you're going five times platinum, you're still going to be looking really, really nice in that. But then you put on top of that, 
and Eminem can tour and he can fill out a stadium with no problem. As a matter of fact, he's probably going to actually do more football stadium than basketball stadium because he can get 100,000 people to come out to a record. So he's good. But now, do you guys also feel, and maybe I can swing this to Smythe now, because Smythe is really more kind of in this world as a as a producer who actually plays instruments. Do you find yourself being able to leverage more of the fact that you can actually play as a producer? So like you have a production, you, you, like you're in a group. So like- We just made $20, by the way. Yeah, nice. Over a course of a year. Nice. Yeah. Which is better than some people make. But seriously, like that's bad. So, 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 to, so to put it, to, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm joking, but I'm, but I'm being serious. Like I know, like there's some people that don't even make that much. Yeah. No, so, they'll literally get a check in the mail from BMI for like three cents. Yeah, exactly. Cents. Yeah. Uh, might I say, that has been me. I have received a, a BMI check for like three dollars and seventeen cents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just a little j- like listening to you guys. I guess I'm just jaded. That's why my face has been looking like this this whole conversation. Mm. Um, I remember, was it this year or was it last year? Last year, uh, a song I co-produced on, made it on national television. And it, it took me so long to get the money. And the amount that I got, I couldn't even pay my car note. Now my car note now, car note back then. Oh, the whole job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was, the, that was the moment I realized, and I, I just had a conversation with my brother yesterday. He was saying, you know, art is not music business. So, you know, you really got to be in it for the right reasons. Like you, you, you have to, you have to be fulfilled, not because you're, you're making money, which is, you know, of course, besides the point, but I, yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of like jaded from that. But to answer your question about, um, being able to play an instrument, um, I think that helps as far as like, uh, the income that you can bring in playing music, um, well, I mean, from oh, the, as far as like from the standpoint that you can production. actually, oh, you can actually, you can actually book a show faster than I could book a show as a oh, producer, right? Because you can actually produce and play, and I could play too. Let's not, you know, we don't want to get yeah, crazy. don't get it twisted. But but I, that's not that's not my wheelhouse. So, would you say that you actually would potentially even make more money because you're a musician who who's a producer at the same time? Yeah. So well, when you put your records out, you you can actually put on a live show, where I if I put out a record out of beat tapes, like ain't nobody coming out to, to see that. I mean, maybe they might. But, you know. Yeah, that's I mean, a lie. Yeah, I don't know because like, there's people do shows just as DJs. They just push a button and and they they fist pump, you know. Uh, but the other thing is what what also helps as a producer musician. There's a lot of placements that I have just as work for hire, which is you know sometimes like I think about the the work for hire placements that I've had versus um, like, you know, production placements. And I kind of wish like from the money that I made from some of the records that, that, you know, I've produced on, I kind of wish they would just like, give me a hundred dollar check. Right. <laughs> you know, that would have been more than, than what I would have made anyway. Just, you know, pay, pay my gas for getting down to the session. Right. <laughs> right. And I think, and, even, we'll be straight. Even, and I think even like as a company, I think that's why we've been able to, to do so well is because with me being more of the managing partner and John actually kind of being my right-hand man on the business side, it's allowed you guys to actually just worry about the art. Right. And so John and I are emotionless when it comes to the music. Don't get it don't get me wrong. 
we throw on some of these compositions and it's just like this is literally the most beautiful thing i've ever heard and i low-key don't think that this should be in the pack because it's too good to be put into a, a royalty-free sample pack like we we john and i still kind of go through this like should we re- should we pull this from the pack type of thing but at the same time you know music is always going to come from the heart if if you do it from the heart anyway and and this is one of those things where what we're seeing right now is you're seeing the commercialization of music the commodification of music and what it does is it drives guys who who have who are the best at what they do because they're doing it from the heart now turn into in essence like worker bees because they have to churn out we just talked about on the last uh remember we were talking about on the last podcast last week we were trying to figure out like what is logic's recording contract like because yeah. this dude be putting out like three three albums a year yeah so like stuff like that for somebody that big and they all go number one yeah they do they do but but like think about that somebody who goes number one with every record has to put out three records in a year that's not when we were coming up that's not something that you saw if you got an album every five years you were lucky you know the, the way we the way we came up so I'm going to flip this right back to John and then we're going to get some numbers from Zari before before we even deep dive even more. But the one thing that I have noticed with you guys specifically, uh, specifically with Weatherman, especially, there's so much talent in that group. You kind of can't quantify your worth from a number standpoint. It's almost impossible to do that. But because you know that you're not going to get anything on the back end in a way that would respectfully get what you should get, now this causes issues on the upfront. Um, how do you guys deal with that? Um, is it like I, I would imagine that it, it depends on the artist that you're working with? Because I have seen you guys get a nice check up front from one artist, and then I've seen you have to negotiate basically to use some type of leverage tactic to make sure that you guys at least are maybe just even just building the brand, helping the brand progress forward. So how do you guys, you know, navigate through that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it goes to the, literally to the thing you and Smythe were just talking about, about the currency now being brand visibility. And for producers now, some were already doing it. And especially in the DJ world, a DJ can show up to a show and actually be the act because um, that's just how they're marketing themselves now and like a lot of guys are finding more value in that I mean we've seen it throughout hip hop as well with uh, any producer who acts as an artist the front facing currency value but that's been more and more important for us personally um, with Weatherman we felt that you know since we're not getting you know the money we know we're worth and people just not going to pay will at least give us the currency which is brand visibility and then also getting the stream numbers as well. Right. So um, a lot of us, you know, we were just like, hey, we know you can't pay what we're worth in a certain circumstance. So at least just give us the brand visibility of letting us be an artist on that track and not just in the liner notes as producers. And a lot, like I said, this isn't new. This has been happening. But for us, it felt more important for us, especially in this age of streaming, where now if you go into talks with a label or or your worth is hugely measured on the eyes that are on you, your numbers on Instagram, your numbers on, you know, all the streaming sites on Spotify, if they can see how many monthly listeners you have and all these different sites, those things are important now. And I, I, I call it the currency of brand visibility. Right. And that's been 
kind of for us what has been it's risen to the top as the most important thing because then it opens up those other avenues which we just talked about the 70% of how you're still building revenue is merch and doing shows right and if you have those monthly listeners and if you have that brand visibility doing a show can be easy no matter if you can play an instrument or not right obviously we can but brand visibility man that's mm-hmm. just how you do it i mean i just was on tour for a month just got back last week with a band totally diy no label <laughs> no backing right they had a bus they're like a 30 city tour whole U- u.s brand visibility man right. you know and packing a joint out too by the way packing them out selling selling venues out so now i'll say this one of the things that i was able to to take advantage of as a producer i never was the best producer like let's let's go ahead and just put that out there i think i was good at what i did but i think the thing that i did better than everybody else was i branded myself extremely well so before streaming that actually worked well for me because I could literally not only pull in a considerable amount of money from people buying production from me, but I could also do very well by putting out my own records and making money off of that too. So what happened was once streaming kind of came in, now all of a sudden I stopped making money from guys paying me for records or they were paying me, you know, half of what I was making before. And then the money that I was making off my own records, that went almost completely away. And now I'm not making anything. So it's just real interesting. I, I definitely want to start to go into some of these numbers. Zari has some numbers which are very, very troubling if we're keeping it funky. Yeah. And and we've all known this, but this is something that we wanted to talk about to the producer community about the things to think about when you're kind of going into this. Cause we, you know, we see DMs, we we got hundreds of DMs, whole bunch of emails. You can just see that guys really gravitate towards this industry because they genuinely think that they're going to make money and there's days where i want to say you can make good money and a company like soul surplus will help you keep your money in your pocket because now you can get a sample sound while not worrying about having to pay the royalties for you know for sample clearance but at the same time you got to hustle very very hard to to really make a considerable dent you know what i'm saying so Zari, I, I know you got some numbers for us. Like, could you share some of those with us? Just an example for some numbers. There was a producer by the name of Rodney Jenkins who uh, co-produced "As Long as You Love Me" by Justin Bieber. Um, just to give you some of these numbers here, Sirius XM, one thousand five hundred nine spins. He earned seven hundred sixty-five dollars. Pandora. 38,225,700 spins he earned $278. That is insane. YouTube, 34,220,900 spins he earned $218.17. So I think it's after the Music Modernization Act was, you know, passed last year. I think it's a right step in the direction of helping people make more money off of these songs that are, you know, making the top 100, top 200, even the top 10 on the billboards. Uh, these artists are putting in all the work and the labels and the streaming companies are making most of the money. Right. So that's why they're fighting against it because, you know, they want to keep and hoard as much money as they want to right. or can. So. And the uh, crazy thing with Rodney Jerkins, that's Dark Child. So you're talking about somebody that got mad years in the game. Right. Big record. That dude's too. been making records since I was in high school. Facts. Damn. You know what I'm saying? So you're talking about, in essence, 
in a couple years, you're talking about three decades worth of being like a great producer. And even he is feeling that, which is, I don't, I don't know, man. Sometimes I wonder if this is also another thing that has also lent to what seems to be the exhaustion, both physically and mentally, by this generation of musicians. I'm wondering if streaming is the reason why somebody like Mac Miller feels like he has to go to prescription drugs and drinking and all types of stuff because maybe subconsciously he mentally has a strain that he has to keep things going mm. and he's making millions of dollars. You know what I'm saying? But, but he has to work because, so this is what happens when you start making money. now I can talk from a personal perspective. When we first started soul surplus, it was me, John and, and Joel. It was very easy the first year. Cause it was just us three. You step into last year then we started hiring people. By the month, the stress starts to starts to grow on you because now people's livelihoods are at stake because you can't grow something without a team. And this, to me, is also the reason why producers have especially struggled because producers tend to run in just by themselves. Um, so you don't have different arms to, to go out and get various pieces of uh, 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 diversify your revenue streams because you're kind of only just by yourself. Mm. So like, I know what it, I know what it feels like. John knows what it feels like to work hard and to really be like, yo, if we like have like a bad misstep this month. Literally nobody's getting paid. I know what that feels like. So I can only imagine with somebody like of that magnitude to be, to employ probably hundreds of people in essence, then you got to take care of your family Everybody's asking you, somebody need new shoes for AAU, your cousin, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Got, you know, uh, got daycares, they three months behind and, you know what I'm saying? And you give them that three months behind and they show up in a cherry red charger and it's like, fam, <laughs> didn't you just need money for daycare? So all these things like weigh on people. Sometimes I wonder if the way things are right now, because the love has been stripped away because of things like streaming because music has been so commodified, does that lend itself to why dudes got to, you seen the baby video the other day mm -hmm. when he knocked out old boy <laughs> at the, was that, uh, was that Versace? It was like no, Gucci Louis. Store. It was at the Louis store. store. Oh, Louis store. He knocked uh, out uh, Cam Colehart. No, the baby, the rapper. The baby, the rapper, ATL. Yeah, he, he knocked out Cam Colehart, which is another, uh, He's a rap. He's a rapper yeah. too. Yeah, another local rapper from the same area. Right. So now you got dudes like you know, clout chasing is a thing. Yeah. But you almost feel like you almost have to clout chase to even make a dent as an artist now, yeah. which literally causes you to get knocked out. And I almost low key feel like dude probably don't even care that he got knocked out because now he has more visibility. Mm -hmm. You know. So and it's a, well, and that's, that's and brought it's a tough on line no, to I'm play. Si I'm yeah. serious. Like th that's this literally is brought on a whole not just clout chasing, but like doing like literally stunts prior to your album release to get you like notification and like you know notarization to so see everybody sees nine. you sheesh yeah. build a career on it yeah where they already end up yeah i mean there's a rapper who does that literally prior to i don't want to i don't want to name this rapper but he does this every time his album is about to drop he gets into some nonsense with another rapper he's either starts a beef or he starts talking about another rapper's girlfriend mm -hmm. or and it just it puts him on the map and then he starts getting followers while he's getting those followers, he's promoting his music. Yeah. So that's literally the era that it's we've kinda, jumped kinda into. Kind of low-key. Business-wise, it makes sense. It does make sense. You get, vis you get people visibility. People like drama. Yeah, people you, love drama. You get visibility and you monetize it. You know? 
Bad press is still press. Facts. These are facts. Facts. Smythe, you was about to say something? No, I was going to say, if you get knocked out, you probably at that point have a little less visibility. Especially if you get, no, actually, you get no, hit in your yeah. eye. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you are an idiot. He did get rocked, yo. Yeah. Literally pull your pants, pants down when they beat you, man. Makes no sense. And it was, it was funny because he kind of low-key was able to flip the story a little bit and say, you know what I'm saying? I ain't want to, you know what I mean? I don't want to shoot him or nothing like that. He but I mean. He flipped the story, but wasn't nobody. I mean, I don't know. But some people will believe him. Some people. You know? But anyway, like this is where we're at now. Like this is where this is where it's driven us. So it's like I can remember this makes me feel old. The fact that it's 2019 and we're almost in 2020 and the fact that 10 years ago was just 2009 is very weird to me cuz mm-hmm. it literally feels like just yesterday. I think I was listening to uh Ludacris yesterday too and I was like, "Wow." Like yeah. I was listening to the first album back for the first time. You was in high school when that came out. And I'm just like Wow. Yeah. So I'm thinking back, I'm thinking back like literally just 10 years ago, dudes were literally still doing music for the sake of art form. Mm. And there's also, there's always been commercial music. Selling CDs. Yeah, but. straight up. And, and and that was the best part about that Even era. selling single CDs. Like the single CDs where it literally had just the song, yeah. then the instrumental and the acapella on yeah. it. Yeah, we was, but we was, they was doing that when I was in college. Like I would go get a single. Right. I they, would literally load up on singles on uh, uh, CDs and vinyl You know what I'm saying Because I mean it's, it's, it's a maxi single yeah, But that art is gone Because yeah Because I mean You're not going to be able To sell anything But it's crazy Because What you would have thought What streaming platforms did Was they In essence Told the story I'm not going to say they lied But they told the story That this takes all the power And puts it back Into the pockets of the artists When actually really What streaming did Was take all the power and put it back into their own the products. hands of the major music companies, straight yeah. up. And so all they did was they said, "Okay, cool. What we'll do is we'll create the farms, and you know what I'm saying, and and we'll we'll basically create a system that now it's all about numbers. Whereas in when it was first Napster and all that stuff, when all that came out, that was it was in the artist's hands. You know what I'm saying? Like Fifty literally talks about how he would misname records throw it up on Napster and people would download a record and it would be his record. Mm. He has all the leverage. Soldier Boy did that too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, one of the first on YouTube. Yeah. 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 So let me ask you a question. Sure. As a producer yourself, in this time right now, while they're still trying to figure everything out as far as how people are receiving their money uh, through streaming, I could ask all three of you guys this actually. Would you rather receive your money on the front end or on the back end? 100% on the front. Yeah, I'd have to go with the front. Pay me now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd actually have to agree with that because, uh, you know, it's just these guys are receiving fractions of a penny. Yeah, I want to read some of these numbers too because this is also a, a number. I don't think we read this particular part. The average per stream royalty for both the composition and recording on Spotify. Did you did you already I think read I read this? that one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're not point really zero zero three eight per stream and point zero zero point zero zero one two for the composition, which obviously is then split fifty you know, fifty fifty between performance and mechanical. And that's if you're a co producer. So you literally like if two guys produce that. You have to split that split. Yeah, bro. I mean, imagine four of us. 
That's looking a little grim in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's... This is pretty insane. But I will say this. Even though... It, this is still a good step in general. Yeah, it's a 44% getting, increase. Exactly. And, but and, they're planning on actually raising it more. But for now, that 44% increase is going to be within the next three years. It's not like gotcha. they jumped right to the 44%. It's just going to gradually get to that. And it's still on the songwriter's side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but also too, the interesting thing about this is how much I think Apple and Title were cool with this. Amazon and Spotify, however, were not. They were Amazon kind of surprises me. I'm not surprised by it. That's their business model. But Amazon is like, okay, I understand Spotify because that's literally what they, you know, that's their what what they bank on. But but, Spot but Spotify's business model is Amazon's business model, literally to the T. It's just a different industry. I'm thinking Amazon yeah. literally makes billions. Yeah. Billions. So so here's why here's here's and I'm about to about to give them a little lesson right quick. So the thing you got to understand, especially with companies like Spotify and Amazon, in my opinion, more so than a title and an Apple. Okay. So Apple and title. Technically, and, and I'm being, you know, this is being, this is semantics right now, but I'm just using this to, to kind of explain what I'm saying. We've been using iTunes for over 10 years now. That's where we got our music. And then title is literally just about the music. That's all they do. Shopify or Shopify. We use uh, Shopify. Shout out to Shopify. As a matter of fact, uh, Shopify, if you're listening, uh, we'd love for you to sponsor this podcast as well. Thanks. But uh, <laughs> yes, um, <sir. laughs> but um, Spotify, you would think would be in the same places where title is at, but never since they started have the splits ever been reasonable on Spotify, mm. you know, for creators. Same thing with Amazon, where I feel like the play for both Amazon and, and Spotify is more about figuring out a way to use your data to drive ad revenue. Yeah, that's what it's really about. Right. Data game. Yeah. Which 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 is why I was saying to you, I feel like Spotify's their whole model is more based the Amazon model. Cuz kind of kind of what Amazon does except what Amazon does is they use your data to make you buy Amazon products. So if you buy something, they say, "Hey man, we make that same exact thing for half the price." You see what I'm saying? Right. So, um it's it really comes down to what this really shows you. And, and, I, and I, I think that if, if you are really genuinely considering to become a producer or a songwriter, you really have to sit down and you really have to go deep within your soul and say, am I really doing this because I really genuinely love to do this? Because if that's the case, you'll make music forever until you die. Yeah. And sometimes perseverance actually is the X variable for success. Not anything else. <laughs> And the only way you can persevere through times that are rough like this is passion. Facts. Indeed. Passion and also creativity. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Creativity is always going to be the thing that helps you get over the hump. Very true. You know what I'm saying? So if you don't have any creative, so that's why like Smythe is a perfect let's 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 use Smythe as a perfect perfect example. So Smythe comes to me and he says, Hey Wes, I want to put these records out. I'm a really good uh musician. He literally said this. He said, I'm the best guitarist. That has ever played the guitar ever. <laughs> I'm joking. Facts, but I didn't say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> but he literally came to me and he said, you know, I can attest to this and I'm, everybody in this group can attest to this. Smythe just genuinely loves to create music. But facts. Facts. However, he's not a good marketer, nor does he understand the business side of it. These are also So facts. what he had to do is he had to come to me to figure out how he was going to navigate all this stuff, how he was going to market himself and everything like that. Um, Do you guys think that like people should really consider maybe taking like a hard look at are they actually capable of pulling that off before they step out into this i mean like yeah. Smythe, i want you to speak as somebody who who just loves the music you know yeah um well no i don't well i mean yeah you should take a hard look but it, that shouldn't stop you from from doing something that you love to do because like you know i've i haven't I don't have the skills to market something, at least not right now. Um, but look at look at where my skills and my talents have led me right. to a point where you, now I can make a living for myself. To me, it's all about getting in where you fit in. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, like don't don't settle. Mm -hmm. But get in where you fit in and and work as hard as you can. And like, yeah, one day you'll learn how to do it, or you know. Even if you're even if you're not as good as you can be, you're you're really good at being a producer. You're really good at good at being a musician. You're you're really good at, you know, I don't know, being a tour manager, you know, or you're good at all of them, and you'll still be able to make a living. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's how I feel about it. Right. But of course, not. Yeah. Don't. I would say don't settle, but don't let I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. Stop you from stepping out and doing what you actually want to do. Right. Now, the, the beautiful thing about this also, too, is I do feel like this this has been one of the main reasons why the type beat movement is as strong as it is today. It has literally forced producers to be more creative. It's forced producers to go into their bag to create a, a an original brand. How they visually present themselves is just as important as how sonically they present themselves. And like I know guys that are type B producers whose stuff has never landed on a major record that are making $10,000 a month because they were just consistent and they figured out a way to literally capitalize and build a brand so that when you see it, like, you know, that it's them. Uh, our good buddy homage. Uh, he, I'm not going to talk about how much money. He shout made. out to homage. Yeah. Shout out to shout homage. Out to um, I'm not going to talk about how much money he makes because that's his business, but homage makes he, he, his wife doesn't work. This dude just moved to Asia now his cost of living is like a fraction of what it was. And this dude is like living it up right now. So now him and his wife are going to be, and I'm sorry, I'm telling all his business right now. Sorry, bro. But him and his wife are basically able to live and to travel and to do all these things now because of type beats, because he figured out just because I'm a producer, just because, you know, I can't make any money on the back end from these big records. I can still make beats every day and still actually get paid. Because now production has become a source of entertainment. And the irony of it all is that sometimes it still leads you back to that big placement. Which like the, which has happened to him. The kid, yeah, for him. And, you know, even if you look throughout, a lot of records have come out like Panda with, um, what was it? Designer. That? Designer. Where did he go? But anyway, that record was a type B kid. He threw it up online and he actually had a whole cohort of them that they just, up at their production team, now they get a lot of work out in LA and everything but it started from them just creating a, a pool of 
right. Beat Saber is dope online. What was the name of that 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 group that you were telling me about? Do you remember their name? That was them. I that forget. Was them? I forget. I gotta remember for the next. The producers menace. Yeah, I gotta remember that that whole group of guys. There's a lot of them, man. They just they all live in a house together. <laughs> so beats. with the spins on that record, I really want to know what kind of checks came their way for that because that was like I think he went and got his money. But yeah, from that, I think it was more about that. Okay, now we have the attention. And, and that and that work. was that was the, that's that's what I wanted everybody to kind of focus on. So here's the beautiful thing. So you're not you may not make any money, but how you take that attention and monetize that attention mm-hmm. makes all world a difference. Which is why I said a, a few minutes ago, it's really about how you can take yourself, market yourself visibly, especially because sonically everybody already likes your stuff. So you're going to get attention for the sound regardless, but how you now present yourself visibly, you know, do you have a beat stars page? You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And now all of a sudden they hear this one particular track, but because you've been grinding, now they go and find you and you have 10,000 tracks on beat stars. And now one day you've made $10,000 just off of one placement. So you're not necessarily always, and this is the conversation that I've had. Listen, guys, John and I have had this conversation too many times for me to count about how either 42 North or Weatherman can take advantage of the fact that they get a lot of visible looks from people on the outside looking in. And I've even said, have you guys ever thought about making something that resembles like a tight beat thing or going and making your own records? You know what I'm saying? The, the problem that we then run into is, you know, the, the whole thing of like these guys have built their their brand is kind of they can't do that for their brand. You know, because they've put them in themselves to land bigger records now. So now they can't be, quote unquote, like a tight beat producer. I mean, yeah. they could, but. Yeah, it's it's interesting thing to navigate. I mean, we thought through all, so many scenarios like playing undercover and like rocking out, but using aliases and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all comes back to the bigger point you guys are talking about. Like, why are you here? Answering those big questions of art, but still kind of marrying it and trying to see where the overlap is with you know, I still need to make a living. So how can you do both and keep artistic integrity, but still make a living for yourself? Like you have to ask those hard questions. If you're going to make a living for yourself, you got to do something. Mm-hmm. You can't let the artistic expectations rule sometimes all the time, because then, yeah, you may never make money and then it's foolish. So to me, it's it's, it's about just compromise, not compromising in a way where like you're selling out, but like, how can you reconcile the two things? Cause I see so many guys at the two different extremes and it's bad like you're just in it to make money and the art sucks right or you're such an artist and you say you want to make money but you're not doing anything to make money right then you get depressed and frustrated and anything so it's like yeah how do you reconcile the two and then social media just just wreaks havoc sure on because as soon as you open it up you're seeing somebody that is killing it but I, I always I always tell people if you're not going to put in the work, you can't complain, man. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, if you like homage's work ethic is insane. Yeah, and, and the crazy, crazy thing is, there's dudes that even put more effort. And I'm not. This is not to disparage homage. Like homage actually puts mad work in. But I'm I'm talking about from the standpoint of setting up a camera every day, so that when they're making their beat or when they're doing their production, now you're getting a visual perspective of what they're doing, and that's why they're able to capitalize off of that. So you see guys, and they're willing to do this every day. And nobody's so John has been privy to me having a conversation with an artist that we had the potential to work with 
And the first question I asked was, are you willing to literally work every day at this? Oh, yeah, man, I'm really. okay. cool. What have you done before today, before we had this conversation that validates that you are ready to work every day? 10 hours a day, because that's what it takes. The thing that people when they watch their favorite producers, when they watch their favorite act or uh, actors, when they watch their uh, favorite artists, the thing that they don't realize is these guys have insane work ethics. You go out to an L.A., you sit in a session, you will find out real quick whether you got it or not. Yeah, dude. We uh, we were out in L.A., had some writers who literally had four sessions before they came to ours. I'm like... Four sessions. <laughs> yeah, these guys literally live in the studio. And then it was like, hey, um, so we want to work on? What are you feeling? She's like, just throw anything on. Like, riding at that point is a reflex. Yep. It's a reflex, dude. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... If you're not really willing to sell out to do that. Work on your craft too. Yeah, Daily. Straight up. Daily. Listen, to do this company, mad nights. Me, John, and Joel are up till 4 o'clock in the morning to get this off the ground. Like every day. And it might not even look like it. But behind the scenes, is a whole lot of stuff happening. When you get into a position where you're able to have, um, you're able to talk, you know, into like the younger generation that's the first thing that I say is if you don't really have the work ethic, you're not going to be able to succeed. If you're not going to be a Smythe that gets up every day, who is already literally sitting down in the studio by 930 in the morning and does not stop except for lunch break until five or six in the evening, then leave then go to rehearsal, play at rehearsal, come home, wake up the next morning and do it all over again and still play on Sundays. You don't you're not going to be able to succeed in this, you know. So, but health is also a good balance, and that's why he's taking a break. I commend him for that. He's taking a break on the uh, the other stuff, so he can focus on also having that artistic outlet too. Yeah, I had to do that. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> when uh, when when you guys were talking about like have I don't know, it's just something weird about a bunch of producers in a house. <laughs> like the energy's gotta Producer. be mad high in there. Like, yeah, but uh, I, I mean, my thing is like this is this is so off topic, but like I'm just thinking about a bunch having a bunch of producers in a room, you know, all of them, all they know how to do is just like mess with a M audio controller, like y'all are really s- splitting publishing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but can you can you really knock the hustle though? Because they're almost in a way because of the way things are, they're forced to do that in that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's. Again, my my perspective is I'm I'm so much on the yeah I'm on like do it do it because you love it side. It's like yo, y'all could at least learn how to play an instrument mm. or a couple chords. Or I understand chords. that, but but, I, but yeah, I understand. Yeah. I we make dudes lazy though, low key. Soul surplus makes dudes especially when the one shots came in yeah. and those chords. Dudes is like okay, I'm not to play the piano now. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> let everyone know. It's funny Wes says it because Wes can actually play keys really good. And this man will sample keys before he'll play them. <laughs> so it's Facts. funny he would say that. <laughs> yeah, I think Wes is probably the uh, the first producer that I ever met in my life that frustrated me. When How I, so? When I met him, he was just like, you know, like even to this day, he's still a phenomenal producer. So it's like when he's still creating and making stuff, like even back then when I first met him and Eric introduced me to him and, you know, we're just all in, you know, his spot and he just starts playing all this stuff and i'm just like looking at him like are you kidding me right now and that was back then when i was like playing around with fruity loops 
Mm, I remember the days. And, and oh my god, Sony Acid to try and sample things. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to try it. to try and sample things. I was literally taking the stuff on acid, cutting it on acid because I, was, I wasn't sure how to actually do it on Fruity Loops at the time. But uh, once I learned on Fruity Loops, it was a whole different ball game. But you know, Apollo still use Cool Edit Pro. Does he? I saw that he posted that video yesterday, and he I don't was know talking how he about does it. Yeah, what happens diehard, but. That was just like a whole like an eye-opening thing within his like itself, just like watching him, like even that first time that I saw him producing something and making it and just like literally taking it from the vinyl, cutting it up, dumping it on logic, and then just like starting to like putting it on the pads and just like the whole I'm just like literally like looking at him in awe, just like wow, this is crazy. I don't know. I still hate you to this day every time you produce it. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny about like that that whole process. Um, in this same conversation I had with my brother yesterday, um, I was telling him about how I was watching Deconstructed on Genius. I think I told you guys this. Um, and they're just pulling stuff from Splice. Shout out to Splice too. Yeah, Splice. Also, Splice. I need y'all to go ahead and and uh, and I sponsor this podcast. I'm actually going to send them an email today because. We low key should uh, should have some type of affiliate marketing. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. My, uh, I apologize. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> um, no, but I, I'm watching that process, and I was telling my brother, I'm like, "Yo, am I am I that old school for me to be playing? Like when I'm when I'm making pretty much anything at this point, like I'm sitting down surrounded by instruments, and I love it. That's right. the reason why I do it is because I I love to just I love to play. Right. I got to get two guitars on my right, a bass. Behind me is like a stack of, of like vintage boards, right? Um, and then I'm watching, I'm watching uh, like these these producers nowadays just with a with a controller and a laptop, and, um, and sometimes just a laptop. Yeah, some sometimes just a laptop, which is crazy. That's not even an instrument. <laughs> I sound so I feel like I sound so outdated saying some of that stuff like that or that kind of attitude. But um, but he was telling me. He said, you know, I used to, I used to go through a phase where I wanted to know how things were, were made. I want to know how everything was made. But now I don't want to, and I can relate to that just because, like, yo, when you when you when you learn that your favorite songs or like your favorite producers just use a laptop, but when you hear it, you're like, yo, I hear strings and I hear, you know, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, even just a you know example like you hear like randomly this is just super random example like the world is yours like that that is an amazing record Thanks. and Pete Rock is an amazing producer but like that piano part is just like because of because of the way it's done it feels like it's being played out but like you know <laughs> imagine imagine you go to a to a Nas show you expect to see a drummer in <laughs> <laughs> Um, you don't but, even got an NPC as up there with an ASR, like and you're like, uh, uh. <laughs> so, so where's Ahmad Jamal? Right. <laughs> um, no, but but I, I say all that to say like, it's it's just so much of a different time where things aren't really what they seem like. Like you you know you you think these well, at least for me my my impression was like all oh, they, these producers you know they're they're probably mixing out of NS10s and they're they're you know they got all kinds of boards and stuff but they're just using a laptop you see him on instagram you're like yo this dude probably has money like oh he produced this like he's probably you know and it's it's not that way you know 
my man has a Dell laptop from Best Buy. It's that was nine hundred dollars. Yeah, literally yeah. depending on how you sell your beats, because even the the producer of I'm in love with the Coco for OT Genesis, he literally sold that beat to him for two hundred dollars up front. Two hundred dollars didn't make any money on the back end. So it's like you gotta like you gotta like these days you gotta kind of make your money on the front end. Yeah. Until sure. all of this stuff is actually solved. So as a producer, don't be shy to to put the if the artist really wants that song that beat off of you. Don't be shy to like listen. I want fifteen hundred. Also to the front end uh, thing, it's kind of interesting to think that listening trends also affect that. Yeah. Your Very song true. will be forgotten tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Might yeah. as well get, get it cash This in is such now. a now generation. <laughs> like everything is just like depletes so fast these days. Mm-hmm. It, there's always something new. So they hop on to the next new thing. And the next new thing literally comes out, if not next week, next year. You know, producers should really, and he's, he's not a producer, but producers should really take a day, go and look at Lil Nas X's Twitter timeline and write and take notes. That dude really knows how to take advantage of when the spotlight is on him. He really mm-hmm. does. As a matter of fact, the reason why he has so much spotlight is because he knew how to gain attention by utilizing the way that people consume content. Right. Right now. Right. And then he continues even till to even to this day, it's not going to be a one-time thing cuz obviously my first thought was like I hope this isn't going to. This is probably just going to be like a one hit, one hit a quitter. Yeah, but but the way he, but the yeah. way he really uses attention, he's kind of a genius at it, and that's the reason why I got attention in the first place. I mean, look at artists like you almost have to be like a triple threat to actually make some bread in this industry. Because if you're not a triple threat, like the Dream, he's a singer, song songwriter, producer, he does all of that stuff. But then now you got artists like Ludacris that had to venture out and go to like you know do movies, or Fifty Cent was doing movies at that time. It's like you got to have that hustle mentality. It's like I'm not just going to do this. I literally have these other tricks in my bag that I could actually make bread off of this too. Right. And I'll say this and we're going to end now cuz we're 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 teetering past an, an hour at this point. But the one thing that I do like what streaming has done is I feel like that it's pulled out more talent mm-hmm. than maybe just the generation previous before this generation right now. Shout out to so, SoundCloud rappers. Yeah, so a lot of the newer talent they are really talented at, at a younger age because you have to be better to stand out. And doing this stuff in their own homes, too. Well, listen, guys, this was a really spirited conversation. Um, again, if you guys actually go and follow us on anchor.fm slash soul surplus, you can actually leave us a little voice memo about maybe some of the things that you like for us to talk about. We're going to take some of those memos or maybe even some of your thoughts about what we talked about in this episode, we're going to take some of that stuff and we're going to try to make sure that we can implement that in the show some way. Show you guys some love. But I uh, appreciate uh, Smythe and John coming through today with me and Zari, man. I uh, really, really thought this was a great conversation and looking forward to all our followers getting a chance to listen to this. So with all that being said, we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Peace. Later, man. See y'all.